0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, we'll be in Philippians 1 once again tonight, the first chapter of the book of Philippians. What do you do in your life when things don't work out the way you hope they would? You ever have those times in your life? Things don't work out quite the way you hoped they would, prayed they would, trusted they would? Have you ever been in a situation to where it feels like God has a a sense of humor you don't appreciate very well? Um, You know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, thanks a lot, God, you know, like. Uh this is I guess I asked for this, but not in this way. You know, for instance, uh because the, there's a man, the, the example, because when we look at Philippians, uh when we look at Philippians one particular tonight, but throughout the book of Philippians, we have an example and we have an exhortation. We have an example which is the apostle Paul. This is a man that has been beaten a number of times, but he's been beaten, he's been put into prison. Um So things have not gone the way that the Apostle Paul thought they would go. Um, But he's an example for us on how we can adjust to that. And believe me, the Apostle Paul, by, by his nature, because a lot of times we use our temperaments... And the way we were raised and all these different things as excuses. Well, that's okay for Paul. But for me, I'm a little different or I'm not that much of a patient person. But when you read about the, the temperament of Paul, Paul was not a patient person. Paul uh, was uh, well, could be a very brash person. Paul was um, a person that did not. Uh, he wanted things his way. But he learned to submit to Christ and he learned to trust somebody that knew more than he knew. Uh, so he's a good example of that. Uh, Things didn't go work out the way that maybe he thought they would work out, but still he trusted God through it all. So he's a good example of that. When I I preached through Philippians a few years ago, I actually entitled it, uh, at least one lesson, Making Lemonade in Prison. (laughs) Making Lemonade in Prison. Now, I don't know if Paul made lemonade in prison. I don't think they did that in Roman prisons. Uh, It wasn't a (laughs) modern-day prison. They probably make pink lemonade and everything else these days. But... Uh, but I was thinking about the fact of getting a lemon. You know, that, you know, when life gives you a lemon, you make lemonade, you know, the, the old saying. And so that's kind of the idea there. Uh, but so he was an example. And then, then again, for God's sense of humor, if you will, uh, those times where you're like, great, this is real funny. Uh, and that's for Paul. Paul had a desire, his, his driving desire was to glorify Christ and to reach souls for Christ. Okay? That's what he wanted to do. So he wanted more than anything to get to Rome. Rome was the hub of the empire, the hub of influence. He wanted to get to Rome. And so how did Paul get to Rome? He got there on a prison ship, in chains and in shackles. That's how he got there. It would be real easy to say, real funny, God. Real funny. This is not what I had in mind. But that's not what he did because ultimately, the encouragement of Paul's example is this one, that we really can trust the Lord. We really can trust Him. Paul can trust Him. We can trust Him. So Paul's an example as we go through the book of Philippians. And then there's an exhortation throughout the book of Philippians as well, these This church and these churches that were in this area, they were known to be joyful Christians, joyful people, victorious Christians. This is a church that is not receiving rebuke from the apostle paul paul doesn 't even uh, use his apostleship as far as saying i 'm the apostle, and i 'm going to set some things straight. you better listen, he does that in other churches, but in this one he doesn 't need to do that so These, uh, there's, there's the exhortation of what it is to be a victorious Christian. I'm telling you, that's exactly what God wants for every one of us here this evening. And so, uh, the title of my message to trade you is this tonight, a champion in chains, a champion in chains. Let's, uh, let's look, uh, begin by looking in, uh, let's just begin in verse number six. Ah, Let's start in verse one, just to get the whole context the Bible says Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I gotta pause. I said this last week. But when I was studying for last week's message, which was introducing those verses I just shared with you and trying to introduce uh, Philippians, I was just thinking to myself, how blessed am I as a preacher and as a pastor to have a church like this one to where I can say when I think about you, it blesses my heart. You're on my heart. And when I pray for you, when I think about you, just as a blessing to me, I love you and I appreciate your love and appreciation toward me. And it's, it's shared. Uh, But then he goes on to say, I love verse number six. Again, if you do not know verse number six, if you're not familiar with this, this verse. Make it a point to get familiar. Make it a point to memorize it between this Wednesday and next Wednesday. Uh, I mean, write. You say, "How do I do that?" Write it down. Read it over and over. Uh, think about it. Look up the words. Uh, meditate on it. Share it at the supper table. Share it, uh, you know, with the family. But here it is: Philippians one six. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, we're talking about a champion in chains. The example is this. We're looking at a man that said, God started something in my life one day. He saved my soul. He put a collar on my life. And let me tell you something. He's the one that started it. He's going to finish. And though I'm here in chains, though I can't go out the places I would like to go, this is where God has me at this time. God is still doing a work. God is still doing a work, and so uh, he, that He which uh, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse seven. Even it is as it is meet for meat for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as both in as much as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love, and this is where we are starting tonight. Uh, We may refer back to those previous verses, but this is going to be the the meat of where we start tonight. Verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. And so we're going to we're going to stop right there and uh, deal with these verses. If we have time, we'll go through some of the other ones. As we think about this, when I talked about this, we talked about Paul's perspective. And tonight we're looking a little bit about the context of the chains. He was able to look at his chains and put things into context. He did not focus on what he couldn't do. But he focused on what he could do. See, a lot of times we can get so hung up on whatever it is that we are not able to do. We want to do something. We're not able to do that. I've known people that maybe, maybe it wasn't God's will for them to preach or even to teach. And everything. well, I can't preach or teach. And, you know, and it's crazy in church sometimes. There's people that will sit in church and think, well, I can't preach, I can't teach, and I'm not a singer. I guess I'll just come in and keep the chair warm, you know. Uh, but man, there's something for everyone to do. And it doesn't matter what age you are. There's really something for everyone to do. Uh, that's not, you're not limited to those things. So don't, don't take time thinking about what you, you can't do or where you're not able to go. Think about what you can do. What can I do? And that's what Paul did. He's like, you know what? I may, be in, I, I may not be able to go out and preach, but one thing I can do is I can pen, I can pray, and I can praise God. Amen. I can pin, I can pray, and I can praise God. And one thing that 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 they can never take away, no one can ever take away from God's people. They can never take away. Uh, they can never take away our praying, and they can never take away our praising. They can never take away the person of Jesus Christ uh, in our innermost being. And as we think today and I pray that we will keep in our our thoughts and minds on a regular basis that there's there's we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are being tortured and jailed uh and and you know uh... At, at the very least, ostracized and so forth in many places in the world today that are standing for Christ. And I've been studying on some some recent stories. I've studied a lot on some of the ancient uh, martyrs and, and, and persecutions, but I've been looking at some some more recent history, um, including what's going on in the Middle East right now. China, some of these other places, Christians. But I mean, it's amazing. I believe it's in, I believe it's in Iran that uh, that there's one of the uh, fastest growing churches in the uh, the Christian underground is what they call it. Uh, you know, by the way, I, anybody else besides me, when you were young, uh, you know, let's say like when I was forty, I used to not hear Christian underground. I always thought about them being underground. You know, um, that's just like I remember when I learned about the uh, the underground railroad. I'm just like, man, that would require a lot of work. Uh, you know, uh, to go through those holes and said. So, those all those tunnels underground, but but the church underground, I'm telling you, the, there's Christians that are still praying. There's Christians that are still praising God. There's Christians that are still uh, preaching and sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just awesome that that happens. And so he didn't focus on what he couldn't do, but he focused on what he could do. So that's a champion in change. That's, that's what he does. That's an example for us. Another thing that's cool, it's remarkable that Paul is thinking of others and not himself. He's praying for them. And as he, he awaits his trial in Rome, and uh, if I remember correctly, I believe Paul, when he's when he's writing these words to us, he is uh, four or five years away from being beheaded. He's four or five years away from uh, being beheaded under the leadership of uh, the, the madman Nero, uh, there Caesar of uh, Rome. But uh, but it's remarkable that his mind goes back to these believers in Philippi, and every time he thinks about them, it brings him joy. What happened to Paul when he was in Philippi was this. He was illegally arrested and beaten and placed in stocks. He was humiliated before the people. But even those memories, Paul thought about and said, you know what? But if it wouldn't have been for that, the Philippian jailer never would have got saved. Amen. So I've got to thank God. See, we talked about that last week. We talked about learning how to praise God in spite of our circumstances. That's a big step of faith. But an even greater step of faith is when we're able to praise God because of, because of our adverse circumstances. And Paul did learn to do that as well. Uh, because it was through that that, again, the, the Philippian jailer was saved. He called, recalled Lydia and her household, the poor slave girl who had been demon-possessed. Uh, they brought joy to his heart. Now, this is a great picture. Right here he's saying, I have you in my heart, he says. And he says, I'm praying for you. There's a great picture in the Old Testament because uh, th- 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 about the priesthood. The New Testament, hallelujah, teaches the priesthood of the believer. Boy, that's good news. You know what that means? That means every child of God. The Bible says that ye are a generation of kings and priests. I mean, the Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, every one of us. And now there's so many things that we take for granted because many of us have perhaps thought that way our entire lives. But man, there's a lot of people that think that they have to go to somebody else or somebody else has to mediate. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so, uh, but thank God that we can go before him. But here's what he said. So in the Old Testament, the, 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 the high priest in the Old Testament, when he would go into the presence of God, he would wear a special garment and he would wear a special, almost like a vest, an ephod over his heart. And in this ephod, this, this place this, that went over his chest right here, there was 12 pockets in there, and there was 12 stones that were upon that ephod. And, and those stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So when he would go in before the Lord, he had the children of Israel on his heart. So as he went in to represent God, he didn't go in alone. He said, God, I'm coming here on behalf of these tribes and of these people. And that's what Paul said. I have You on my heart. And when I go before God, I bring You with me. You're on my heart, and I bring You uh, there with me. So. <clears throat> I think that's a good thing. Now, what is his prayer for them and his encouragement, which goes to us too? Now, this is the exhortation. How can we be victorious Christians? He encourages them beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says, And this I pray that your love may abound more and more. And so one thing God wants is us to have love without limit. I mean, He wants our love to grow and to grow. Love's one of those great things. It's, it's one of those things that the more you give, the more you get. Amen? Uh, the more you love, the more uh, your love grows. And He's like, I'm praying that you will love more and more. It's an amazing thing to me. I often think about this in the context of the modern church and even in many good bible preaching churches uh, of what what would be how would they fill in the blank of by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because we get a lot of different emphasis today but jesus said because you have loved one for another amen we love one another we ought to love a lost and dying world we ought to be known for people that we ought to be known as a people that love and care about people have an interest in people um Care about their needs. Care about where they are in their lives. I mean, uh, man, may God help us to grow. So one of the things that we that'll help us is to grow more and more. So if we have if we have love, and if we keep others at the forefront, and I know it's a it's an acronym I heard learned years ago, but I'm telling you, there's still so much truth in this simple acronym. And you might want to write it down if you don't know it. By the way, you don't want to know something I would encourage you on, uh, man. It wouldn't be a bad idea to bring a, 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 something to write on uh, to church, a notebook, or even keep notes in your phone sometime. But, uh, but not that I ha- not that I have um, I do have something great to say because I'm telling you what the Bible says, Amen. But not as if you know. Oh, I better write this down. But, but there's there's one of these things, an acronym, Joy. You know, so many of you know this: Jesus first, other second, yourself last. And if you mix that up, uh, see, a lot of us just have yo. <laughs> <laughs> and that just doesn't roll off the tongue, amen. And uh, that's yourself first, and all that, okay? Uh, but uh, an attempt at humor. But anyway, uh, love without limit. Love more and more. Love somebody. Care about somebody. We sometimes. I'm, and let me tell you this: when we're ha- when we're going through difficult times. We really need to remember there's somebody out there that's having a tougher time than us. And you know what? I appreciate what we're trying to do without re- reaching out to some needy families and things like that. Uh, because it's good sometimes remember there are people that have it worse than us. Amen. And it's not just for that reason, but it's to understand that and to try to make a difference in somebody else's life. So to love without limit, but uh, to love without limit, but also this may sound contradictory, but it's not to love within limits. Notice what he says here in verse nine. And this I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, in all, and in all judgment. In other words, love is not is certainly not to be confused for lust. Amen. Love is not to be confused for lust. And the kind of love he's talking about here is an agape love. This is a love that loves without expecting anything in return. This is the kind of love that you are going to have to have as a parent. You're going to have to have as a husband or a wife. You're going to have to have this kind of love as a child. A love that loves without expecting anything in return. This is the kind of love we're to have one toward another. A love that loves without expecting anything in return. So love's not lust. Love is not what we get out of it. Because that's what a lot of people mean by love. I I know I've talked about this a lot, but it just needs to be said again. Because I I, I always tell this to people when I'm doing like premarital counseling and everything. Make sure that we. But love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Uh, I like the warm and fuzzies. You're not going to uh, meet a, a guy that. I mean. I, I mean. I like love songs, and I mean. I'm. You know. I can be. I can be so sentimental uh, when it comes to. Uh, you know. Just love, 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 and I love the feeling of love, and I love all that stuff. But you know what? The the thing about it is is that true love. It doesn't always feel good. So if you really, if you love your husband or your wife, if you finally got Chad to say, man, but, uh, but, uh, but no, look, if you love your husband or wife, that does not mean it always feels good. Amen. It means you're committed. It means you're committed. But how does it say your husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church? But so that's so, so love's not lust. Love's not just what I get out of it. Uh, love, love does not operate without a law. Love does not operate without some guidelines. Love is universal, but love is not gullible. Love is not gullible. And when I say love doesn't operate without law, man, how many, times, how many times have I had to counsel people that have had an issue loving someone in their family too much? It, it reminds me of this. A parent, you know, uh, so, so you love your kid. Does that mean that you're never gonna discipline that kid? Does that mean that you're not gonna put any parameters or anything on that kid, that you're just gonna let them uh, run wild and, and never? No, because if you really love that kid, you'll not let them do that. And so we, so we get that love confused. There's love within, uh, within there, there's a limit to the love. There's rules within love but, because true love means I don't want to see somebody get hurt. And, uh, and, and, and that's the way real love is. So, uh, and, and that also goes to something else that can be a challenge with people that, that you may, may be close to. Enabling people isn't love. Enabling people isn't love. If I'm enabling people uh, because, oh, I love them so much, I'm going to enable them. I love them so much that I'm going to, I'm going to comfort them and, and finance them in their sin, in their addictions. I just, I, I'm, just, I'm just such a loving person. No, you're a selfish person. Because you don't love this other person enough to say, you know what, I love you, therefore I am not giving you money. I'm not propping you up and helping you get high and get drunk. You know, or whatever the case may be, I'm not helping you do that because I love you too much. And, and, and I, I love you enough to where I'm, go, I'm, going to, I'm going to be put myself in an uncomfortable situation. So uh, love, love within limits. Love is not gullible. But not only that, so he's praying that we'll have love. But not only that, but he's also talking about sound doctrine. Notice verse number 10. So I'm praying that you might grow more and more in love. Verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Um, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. So, sound doctrine, approve. Uh, That word approve right there, where it says that you may approve things, that word approve means to examine or to test, to assay. Assay, A-S-S-A-Y. It was used for the testing of metals. It means to carefully examine and only approve if they pass the test. And we're going to show an illustration of that in just a moment. Here's what he says. So to approve, in other words, man, listen. Don't just don't believe everything that's got a Bible and a smile. Don't 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 just take in any song or any person just because they uh, seem to say uh, something right you say well again well well, aren't we to be loving aren't we just to be accepting everything (laughs) no we are not we're supposed to approve all things we're we're supposed to make sure okay is this worth is this worth listening to is this worth recommending Uh, we need to approve all things we need to know sound doctrine we need to know the things to be we need to be discerning For one thing. So that's his prayer. Be discerning. But there's another side of this. There's the experience that he's trying to give here. Sincere. He says they're also being filled. I'm sorry that you may uh, approve uh, things that are excellent. That you may be sincere. That you may be sincere. Sincere in demonstration. Sincere. Literally... uh, It is is believed to mean in the original Greek, tested by the sun. An unmixed substance. So it talks about purity. It talks about being tested by the sun. Now, did you know that it's possible to be wrong and sincere? I think we can... (laughs) We know some people that are you know, sincerely wrong. And that's one of the things that just rides me. Again, we talk about true love. Sometimes we say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. You know, why is that supposed to be okay when it comes to Christianity and religion? Is that really okay with the doctor? Yeah. as long as they're sincere. You know, is it really okay with the lawyer, with the accountant, with the, with the school teacher? Is it really okay with the husband and the wife? Well, as long as they're sincere, it doesn't really matter what they do. You see, why, why did, why, so uh, a sound philosophy you can follow through to the very end and it'll make sense. Amen. And it doesn't make sense if you apply it to other areas of life. So in other words, you can be sincere and be wrong. Uh, and you can be right and be insincere. You can be right and insincere. Uh, Now, one, so being wrong and sincere is deception. Being right and insincere is hypocrisy. I've known a lot of people that were right, but man, they weren't very pure in their motives. They weren't very sincere in the way they treated other people and everything. I've known a lot of people that were sincere, uh, sincerely wrong, than I've known some other people that were right, but they were insincere. Now, Sincere. In Paul's day, if an unscrupulous sculptor carved too deeply into the marble, he would put wax into the cut to hide his mistake. So he's working on this sculpture, and uh, oops. He would put wax into the gash to hide his mistake. Since the wax blended in and looked like the marble, the craftsman would deceive his customer. Until the statue was set up somewhere and the heat of the Mediterranean sun would make that wax begin to melt and to come out. Well, then the customer would discover that the statue wasn't sincere. That it was an unmixed substance. In other words, it wasn't pure marble. It was marble with some wax to hide the deficiencies. So buyers actually begin to put the words without wax into their purchase agreement. Sincere. Without wax into their purchase agreement. Uh, And so so that's what he's saying here. I want you to be sincere. I want you to be without wax. I want you to be real. I don't want you to be phony. I don't want you to be fake. I mean, you know, anybody ever been to a wax museum? They're pretty interesting. Uh... I don't think I'd pay to go to another one. I still feel, like, dumb that I actually paid to go to the one I went to. But uh, they're pretty cool because, I mean, you know, people, they, they're actually some pretty realistic like, uh, likenesses. But the fact of the matter is, man, uh, if, if those things get in the heat, they ain't the real people. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? They're all wax, and there's a lot of phonies out there. Don't be a phony. Don't be partly real and partly phony because you're still hip- a hypocrite. Uh, hip- hip- hypocrite. Woo! Had a hard time getting that one out. Uh, so be sincere he's encouraging us right here Uh, so Paul prays that his friends will have the kind of character that can pass the test I mean the idea that we can stand in the sun we can stand in the heat we can stand before Christ and we can say this is what I am but now here's the difference about that God's masterpieces we have imperfections but the thing is, is we're not trying to hide those imperfections. We can just say, uh, you know what? These are my imperfections. Amen. Pray for me uh, that God will help me with these. But uh, but I'm telling you, too, too much church, and I'm telling you, it, it's turned off Christians. It's turned off this world when we've tried to make people phony and make people fake. And that's like the standard that's put out there uh, in the church. It's like the norm that comes into so many churches that you've got to be this certain way if you come into the church. Uh, and This is the kind of Christian um, that you're supposed to be here. And so people start just packing in the wax and the fakeness. Right? I mean, just to try to make themselves look like everybody else and sound like everybody else. Uh, But my friend, it's not sincere. It's not real. And I'm telling you, may God help us just to be real. Amen? This is me. Amen? This uh, This is what it is. And now, the good thing about that as well is that God's not done with this sculpture. Amen? God is still working on me. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are His workmanship. We get our word masterpiece from that word in the Greek of workmanship. We are His workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that's what he's encouraging here, the same principle, uh, that we be sincere, that our character stands the test. And so he gives an example, but then he gives an expectation. Expectation. How can we live joyfully? One way we can live joyfully is not being fake. Not being hypocrites. You know, one of the other examples of hypocrisy and what the word actually means, it was actually a thespian term. It was used in the realm of acting. Uh, Actors were hypocrites. That's actually what they were called. And so, why were they hypocrites? Because in these ancient Roman plays, and it's interesting that, that uh, that's one of the things that people hated about uh, Nero, with him being the emperor at this time, but, but that he wanted, that he tried to get out there and do plays and everything. But that's a whole other irrelevant point at this moment. But the fact that in these plays, people would play several different roles, one person may play sev- several different roles. And, uh, but what they would do is they'd put up a mask and they would change their voice. They'd go off stage. They'd come in as another character, put on a different mask and, and, and do a different voice. All right. But so that's what hypocrisy is. So in that sense, there's nothing really wrong with it. Uh, but it is funny that that was looked down on. And in our culture, you know, we, we lift up the, uh, the, the, the hypocrites, the actors and all those people, uh, they're like heroes and people listen to what they have to say about politics, which is just interesting to me, um, but, but, but in that day they weren't actually held in high regard uh, because of the, their 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 hypocrisy and even their acting. It was just a base thing. Why do I keep going there? I guess I'll say this: because hypocrisy. The thing about being a hypocrite. The thing about wearing. But here's the thing: you put on a you put on a mask to come to church. May God help us never have to put on a mask to come to ch- come to church and disguise our voice. Amen. Uh, then may got it, because then we go to work and we put on a different mask, and then we go home and we put on this mask, and, and pretty soon, you know what? I really believe I really feel for some of these actors in one sense. I think some of them have been playing parts so often, they forgot who they even really are. I think that about some of these flaky actors. I mean, I really do. Uh, they've, some of them have forgotten who they really are, and I think that happens to people sometimes. you 're so busy playing a part, but God doesn 't want you to play a part. He wants you to live a life. Amen. He wants you to live a life. And there's a difference. Amen. But notice the expectation here in verse number 10. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Folks, that's talking about the Lord's uh, return. That's talking about the Lord coming again. And the expectation is this. If we're to be joyful and victorious Christians, we need to live sincere. We need to be examples. But we also need to live in expectation. Folks, Jesus may come again tonight yet. He may come again any moment. And we need to live our lives with that expectation. This may be the day that the Lord returns. And that's the expectation there. And God help us that uh, there was a... uh, I came in on the tail end of a generation that preached that and taught that a lot. But you don't hear that as much anymore. Uh, But man, He's coming again just the same. Amen? And so live with an expectation of the day of Christ any moment. But then not only the expectation, but also the expression. Verse number 11. The Bible says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. So he's talking about the fruits here. In other words, do right. Live right. See, he's not saying do what feels good. And if it feels good, do it. But you know what? Sometimes doing right can feel good. But sometimes it don't feel very good to do right. Sometimes doing right can be a popular thing to do, but more often than not, doing right is not necessarily very popular. But it doesn't matter. That's, that, that those don't come into, those factors don't really matter. Do right is what he's encouraging uh, them to do, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. That's what righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. Doing right, being filled with fruits of right, doing the right thing. And so do right is what he's trying to encourage us. And we can only do right by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, We think about the, you know, because the the, the doing right thing. And here's the good, good news about this doing right. Um, For one thing, doing right... Uh, there's a difference between uh, the means and the motive of what He's encouraging us to do right here. The means and the motive. In other words, it's not just, okay, you need to do better. Go out there and do right. There's a means and there's a motive. The means is this. Notice what it says there in verse 11. Being filled with uh, the fruits of righteousness, which are by whom? There's the means. That's good news. God does not save us and say, okay, straighten up and do better. Do the right thing. Listen, He's said, no. Die to yourself. Understand that it's not within yourself. The right that we need to do is the fruits of Jesus Christ. It's through His righteousness. It's not my own righteousness. I'm saved by the righteousness of Christ. And we're supposed to live by the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own works that we're saved by. It shouldn't be our own works. It's allowing God to work through us. What did Jesus say, after all, in John 15? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What did He say? And this is a prayer of mine. I try to pray it every morning. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And of course, what He means there is nothing truly fruitful, nothing truly productive. It's not our own strength. It's not our own power. But it's through Jesus. Ain't that wonderful? I'm so glad because, man, if it was just left up to us, we'd be in a mess. We would be in such a mess. I'm glad God's not up in heaven with His arms crossed and say, let's see what you can do. It's not that way. Praise God. We are empowered. We are indwelt. Uh, we are uh, made to be able to conquer and be victorious. And this is what He's encouraging in them as in, as well as in us. And so here's the Apostle Paul. And he is... Uh, Encouraging these Christians the means is Jesus Christ but not only, not only know the, the means but then also the motive which are by the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ that's the means unto the glory and the praise of God that's the motive why am I doing what I'm doing? for the glory and the praise of God Why am I standing before you preaching here tonight? So that I'll get a pat on the back whenever you leave tonight? No. If I get on the pat on the back, that's fine. But I'm not after a pat on the back. That cannot be my motive. The means of me doing the right thing, the means of me serving, the means of me preaching, has to be Christ. And the motive has to be the glory of God. And therefore, if nobody else really likes it, you know it's a pretty empowering thing when you just start saying, I want to please Christ. That means you may not please everybody. But if I'm pleasing God, that's just fine. Amen? I mean, if, if people are happy with me, that's great. If people aren't happy with me, if, as long as God's happy with me, I'm good. Amen? <laughs> I can be good and you can be good that way, all right? Uh, so, uh, so, so pleasing Him. The, the, the means is, the, is Jesus Christ. The motive is to the praise and glory of God. Whatever it is. I talked about everybody playing a part. Everybody doing something. Uh, full, uh, Full involvement of everybody in this church. Everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. And whatever it is you do, make sure you do it by the power of Christ. Make sure He's your means. And make sure your motive is to the praise of God. Amen. I'm going to start this ministry in the church And man it's going to grow And we're going to have a hundred people involved in this ministry I hope so And don't lose that goal Don't lose that vision However if you, if you have a hard time getting one person to show up Don't quit Amen Unless you started something that you maybe shouldn't have started in the first place Then you might just be able to suck it up And say ah, I probably missed it there uh, But in a lot of cases people just quit prematurely uh, Because uh, you know th- Things aren't going well I mean, but that's that's not that's not the motive. The motive is to glorify God. Uh, here's Paul. He's in prison, and he's just saying, "Hey, this is where God has me. You are where God has you." That we see the means and we see the motive. So whatever it is that we do, we need to do for Him, um, for the glory and praise of God. Um, boy, oh boy! All right. Let me just give you a couple things here between uh, twelve and eighteen. That, I don't know if any of y'all remember that I said when I started Philippians, I'm trying to do a survey. Man, it's tough. Um, this is my version of doing a survey, which is to say I'm going through, I, I thought, thought maybe I could preach it in four weeks, you know, a chapter a night. I, really, I did, I, I know. Uh, man, I have a tough time with that. Uh, but uh, there's just so much good stuff. It's just hard to just like cast it off. Because even with the way I'm doing it, believe it or not, I'm still leaving out some great stuff that's in these verses. Um, but, uh, but, but just notice this, this goes back to the example. He gave the exhortation, but then he gives the example and we'll give this to you quickly. Uh, verse 12, the Bible says, but I would, ye should understand brethren that the things which happen unto me have happen, have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. He's in prison. He's been beaten. He's, been, he's gone through such a diff, very, very difficult time. But no matter what it is, he has a context for his change. He sees what God is, is, is doing through all of this. I said it to start off with. Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but instead he went as a prisoner. I like this. This is, this is cool because this is where I guess I, guess I just want to encourage you with Paul's example as we uh, try to just give you a few things here. And that's this. Furtherance, He said, the things that happened to me happened happen for the furtherance. That word furtherance right there is a cool word. It literally means, listen to this, pioneer advance. Pioneer advance. He, he, he's saying, I'm going into new territory here. Amen. Paul. I want to go to Rome and preach. God says, yeah, you're going to Rome, Paul, but you're going to get there a different way. He's chained. He's got chained. The best we can tell, he's chained 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. They rotate in either four or six hour shifts, Uh, but they, they rotate, but he's chained all the time, okay? So you know what he says? Oh man, the gospel's going places. You know why? I'm a pioneer. Because I am now, because when he talks about, well, let's go into these verses, you see a few things there. Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. It's kind of cool that word palace right there is from the Greek word praetorian. And so it is where they get the term for the praetorian guard, the elite uh, guard of Caesar. There are some of these guards that could have been uh, in charge of up to 9,000 men. These are influential men. These are very important men. And they are chained to the Apostle Paul. Amen? I mean, who's the prisoner, you know? I mean, Paul is sharing the gospel with these people. And that's what he's saying. The furtherance of the gospel. And so here's what I... The way I want to encourage you with with this is in this way. You can be a champion in your chain. You can be a chained champion. A champion in chains. And here's what I mean by that. What are the things that's holding you back? What are the what what is it? Where are you at in your life to where you feel like you're not able to do and be all that you think is, is ultimately there there's there's something more than this? Maybe right where you are, there's furtherance, there's a pioneer advance. Maybe you can touch somebody's life through what you're going through. You've got a pioneer advance. You're blazing a trail, you're going into places that people haven't gone yet. You're touching somebody's life that nobody has ever been able to touch. Why? Because of your prison. Because of your chains, you see? I mean, listen, his chains. I mean, he had the perspective. He said, man, these things have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. God is using this in my life. The same God who uses Moses' rod and Gideon's pitchers and, and, and King David's sling used Paul's chains. That's a great message. The gospel was, by, was being spread by the means of his bonds because it gave him contact with the lost. His chains were divinely planned. I want to share this poem with you. Just a Weaver by Benjamin Militia Franklin. Just a Weaver. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas, and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand, as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned." He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives his very best to those who choose to walk with him. Though Paul's palace was a prison, his throne was a wooden stool, his scepter an iron chain, Paul would have power greater than any Caesar's. Amen. Paul's chains were were meant to bring people to Christ. They were divinely planned. Your chains are divinely planned. And his chains were distinctly productive. I talked about the, the, the palace there. Look with me real quickly here in chapter 4, verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22. The Bible says this, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Man, that's such an awesome verse right there. You know what he's saying right there? All the saints, I've had some saints come visiting you, visiting me. They say hello. And by the way, the those of Caesar's household, some of these praetorian guards, they say hi. Amen. Amen. Some of the chiefest people, and I'm telling you, when you study Roman history, it's really an awesome thing to study how the impact that Christianity began to have. And it started, this is one of the key places it started. And it spread. That's one of, that's, that's one of the reasons why. Uh, You know, finally, Constantine said, well, this killing Christians isn't working. This outlawing Christians isn't working. Let's take our old pagan religion, throw some Christian names on it, uh, and we'll make that, uh, we'll call that Christianity. That's one of the reasons he did it is because, man, the the, the empire was so filled with Christians all the way through the Roman soldiers and everything. Senators. It's a a cool thing to study. But anyway, okay, uh, I'm giving you this and then I'm going to be done for the night. Sometimes God has to put chains on his people to get them to accomplish a pioneer advance. That could never happen any other way. Young mothers may feel chained to the home as they care for their children. But God can use chains to reach people with the message of salvation. Susanna Wesley was the mother of 19 children. 19 children. Uh, before uh, the days of labor-saving devices and disposable diapers. Susanna Wesley carved out, I believe, at least one hour a day to where she spent time just in the Word and prayer. Uh, Out of that large family, and by the way, uh, let me encourage you with this, um, John and Charles Wesley were born. And I believe they were something like 17 and 18 or something to that effect. In the number of children. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, if she, if she would have stopped at 15 kids, the world would have never had John and Charles Wesley. Uh, and so, some of you stopped at 15 and you should have kept going, I mean, I'm trying to tell you. Um, but no, listen. Uh, but listen. But combined, their combined ministry shook the British Isles. At six weeks, weeks of age, Fanny Crosby was blinded. But even as a youngster, she determined not to be confined by the chains of darkness. In time, she became a mighty force for God through her hymns and gospel songs. So let's all stand this evening. I appreciate your indulgence. And I want to say this tonight. You can be a champion in your chain. You may be in a place to where physically. Your your health is becoming a chain for you. It's limiting you. Maybe it's a loved one's health. Maybe you're having to be a caregiver for somebody in your family. Man, it's just such a chain. If it wasn't for this, I could do so much for God. If it wasn't so much for my financial situation, if it wasn't for these kids, if it wasn't for this life, if if it wasn't for this job, I could do so much for God. These things have me chained. No, you can be a champion in your chains. Amen. Have you ever thought that maybe these things have fallen out to you for the furtherance of the gospel? Amen. Have you ever thought that there's somebody that you can make a difference in their life and glorify God through the chains that you're in? The con- there's, there needs to be a context for your chains. We don't like it. We don't like it when, we, when something happens like Paul. I really want to go to Rome, Lord. Okay. You'll go. As a prisoner, really, God? Really? Real funny. God's working. He's got a plan for you. Remember, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's just something to think about. Imagine this. Imagine Paul's attitude being turned around, and maybe like some of ours could be. Imagine him belly aching, whining, fussing, complaining about his situation. Now, we do that sometimes. I understand that. But that shouldn't be the norm for us. It shouldn't be the norm. Paul could have done that. We wouldn't have a good part of the New Testament if he had done that. There's many, many souls, I mean countless souls, that wouldn't have got saved if he had done that. And I think about us sometimes. Here we are with these chains on, and they seem like such an inconvenience, and so unfortunate, and so, why, Lord, why? But all the while, God is saying, hey, I've got you in a place for the furtherance of the gospel. I've got you in a place to make a difference, not only in your life, but in somebody else's life. Maybe quit looking for a way out. And start looking for a way to, for God to get in. Quit looking for a way out. And just say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to serve you in this situation. I'm going to serve you in this situation. Now that's not to say if we can improve our situation, but you understand what I'm saying. We just spend so much time, oh If only, if only, and God said, I brought you to this place. This is where I've got you now. Serve me. Make a difference. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, dear Lord, for saving me. Now, Lord, I stand up here and it's, you know, it's not a hard thing to get up here and preach these things. It's not a hard thing to tell these folks this is what they ought to do. But, Lord, it's a whole lot harder living it. God, and I sure don't want to stand up here and preach this and not live it. So I pray you'll help me, dear God. Help me in my faith. Help me in my furtherance. Help me to... To, to bear to do right, to have those the righteous fruits of Christ, the means and the motive to glorify you. Help my brothers and my sisters, dear Lord, tonight. God, we get discouraged, man. Them chains, they rub us, they hurt, they hinder. Lord, there's so much that could be said about those chains. But God help us to see where you can use them in our lives, dear God. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.